Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, let's turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 12, as we continue our series, The Triumph of the Lamb, with a message entitled, Now War Arose in Heaven. Let's join Dr. Newfeld now. When nations go to war, several matters are important. Strategy, sophistication of weaponry, propaganda, the nature of the battlefield, the wider geography of the field of conflict, the determination to win, the nature of the opposition, intelligence reports on operations of the enemy. I mean, all of these things become part and parcel of either victory or success. In our study of Revelation, we've been examining the nature of spiritual conflict. We notice that Revelation 12 to 14 presents us with a series of seven visions regarding the conflict. Up till now, we've examined only the first of those visions, that is, the vision of the great red dragon seeking to devour first the child that is born to the woman, and then after failing to devour the child, seeking to devour the woman who has given birth to the child. We interpreted that vision as a picture of the satanic plan to kill the Messiah, Jesus, and then, after failing to destroy the Messiah, Satan in fury has sought to destroy the people of Israel from whom the Messiah was born. This, as we have seen, is the ultimate cause of anti-Semitism. Now to the second of the series of seven visions. Here I'm reading Revelation 12, 7 to 12. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, and he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. You know, as is the case in the first vision, let me begin by painting a picture that comes to us from the ministry of Jesus. I'm reading from Luke chapter 10. The passage records Jesus sending out 72 of his followers, and they are to go to every town and place where he himself is about to go. In his name, they are to heal the sick and to announce that the kingdom of God has now come near to them. When they have finished their assignment, they then come back and with excitement, they tell Jesus, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. That's because as they've gone out to preach, they've noticed that they are continually confronted and harassed by demons, but they have named the name of Jesus and have watched the demons submit to that name. Now I'm reading Jesus' response to this joyful news, and that's Luke chapter 10, verse 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It's fascinating. That would mean that the mighty mission of the disciples actually resulted in Satan being toppled from his place of power. So we have to assume then that the announcement that the kingdom of God has now come and the demonstration of that reality actually pushed Satan from the place of prominence. That is, he has in some fashion been overwhelmingly defeated. 
That's why the 72 saw the demons retreating when they advanced. So think about it. The mere fact that the demons were in retreat must have surprised the 72. How was that possible? And so they asked Jesus, and he told them of a great disturbance in the heavenlies. Satan had just been toppled. Indeed, it happened with amazing speed. When he actually fell, it was like lightning, sudden and a brilliant event in the spiritual realms. Now, keeping that matter in mind, let's get back to the second vision from Revelation 12 to 14, verse 7. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Now, clearly, we have here a description of a war. You know, sometimes Bible teachers will ask, when exactly did this war happen or begin? So some will trace it to a time period before the creation of the world, that is, to the time when Satan fell, that is, to the time when he and his demons rebelled against God and were kicked out of heaven. And others will argue that this must refer to some event that occurs during the Great Tribulation. But as we're going to see as we continue to work our way through this passage, the ultimate victory over Satan was won on the cross when Christ died for the sins of his people and therefore freed them from the kingdom of darkness. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself just yet. I think it really is okay not to try to answer the question of when this war arose. The point of the vision is not to identify the point in time when the war began. The point is to identify the great spiritual conflict between Satan and his angels, that is, the demons, and Michael, who has a great military made up of angels. Now, does all of that sound foreign to you? So let me help. Let's start with Michael. In Daniel chapter 10, the prophet Daniel has been praying a prayer regarding a vision that God has shown him. Because of the awesome nature of that vision, Daniel had no strength left. His entire appearance changed because he was deeply frightened by what he saw. And then after some time, an angel came to him. He comes to reassure Daniel that his prayers to God were instantly heard and that he, that is, the angel, has been delayed. Well, delayed? How is an angel delayed? Well, Daniel 10.13 explains the delay. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. Now, I know, I know, it's a difficult verse, but it's a fascinating one indeed. First, notice that Michael is one of the chief princes among the angelic band. He is, in our terms, a commanding general among the host of angels. Second, notice that the demons and Satan himself, as we noticed in the last vision, oversees kings and princes of the earth, like Herod, like Nero, like the emperor Domitian. These antichrists have been backed up and inspired by Satan and his demons. And so on a grand geopolitical plane, standing behind the great earth-shaking development of human power structures is a great war between Satan and his demons on one side and Michael and the holy angels arrayed against them on the other. Clearly, Michael and Satan are often seen locked in battle. In the book of Jude, verse 8, Michael is called the archangel there, and there we find him in a dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. Again, amazing what happens in the spiritual realm. Battles that most of us are merely oblivious to its reality. Now back to Revelation 12, verse 8. But he, that is, the dragon, was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. 
Now, as we've already seen, this throwing out of Satan from heaven happened in the earthly ministry of Jesus as he announces his kingdom and then finally dies on the cross and secures the people for himself. Just so that we understand the nature and the drama of spiritual warfare. When we read the book of Job, we find Satan having immediate access to God. He comes and he brings slanderous accusations against God's people. So listen to Job chapter 1, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, it says, was among them. You see, he gets right there before the throne. What's he doing there? The answer, he's coming to accuse Job, saying that Job only fears God because God has blessed him, and if the blessing were gone, well, then he would curse God to his face. Satan is saying to God, he's never been your friend. But now, after the ministry of Christ, Satan lost access before God. So let me give you an illustration. I think you're going to remember this. Imagine the police picked you up for a supposed crime. Maybe they're suspicious that you've murdered someone. They put you in an interrogation room. No windows, no access to the outside. And they begin to pepper you with questions. Where were you two weeks ago, Wednesday evening? Do you have an alibi? Is it true that you hated the victim? There are others who will testify that you uttered threats. Wouldn't it be better if you just confessed? We would be much easier on you if you did that. What if we told you that we had even more evidence? I mean, the questions go on and on and your head is swirling. But then suddenly the door opens and in walks your attorney. Immediately, everything changes. Is my client aware of his rights? If you say you have evidence, we want to see that evidence right now. You see what's happened? You have a strong advocate who now speaks on your behalf. That's still not the whole story, but that's getting at it. That's what happened to us when Jesus came. Jesus, his blood and righteousness is now our defense. His blood pleads our case before the Father and Satan's accusations against us have been destroyed. But there's so much more to learn from this passage. Sixty years of Bible teaching ministry in Canada, that's what we're celebrating in 2018. And for that reason, we're launching a number of special events and activities throughout the year to celebrate God's faithfulness. We begin this month by airing a new series featuring both founder Theodore Epp and Bible teacher Dr. John Newfeld. It's a special series for a number of reasons. First, the consistency of messages from both men hold the same high standard of teaching you become confident in. And secondly, there's a wonderful solidarity of mission and passion for the scriptures, the legacy and vision for the future. As special gift to you, our friends and supporters, we want to offer this 60th anniversary five message series on CD as a free gift. All you need to do is contact us today and ask. And to receive more information or support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. So that's what has occurred. A great war was waged in the spiritual realm. Jesus came, and with that coming, Satan fell from heaven and his ability to accuse you before God has been broken. Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning. Hallelujah, what a precious truth. Now, before we move on, I think it necessary to address an issue that some of my hearers might know well and others not. 
In Revelation 21-3, where Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit, and there we are told that this event gives rise to the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ. Now, those Christians who are of the amillennial variety argue that both Revelation 12 and Revelation 20 speak of the same event. Now that Christ has come, Satan has been robbed of his power. And so for them, the description of the coming millennium in chapter 20 is merely symbolic of what we're experiencing now. It's not to be taken literally. See, they're going to argue that we are now in the millennium, that Satan now has been removed from his position of authority. Now, as much as I love and appreciate my brothers and sisters in the amillennial camp, let me explain why I think that that's not what this passage is saying. In Revelation 12, Satan is thrown onto the earth, but in Revelation 20, he's thrown into the bottomless pit. Now, those two locations are very different in Revelation. Second, in Revelation 12, Satan, out of his anger at being thrown out of heaven, goes to war against the saints. But in Revelation 20, he's unable to go to war either on the saints or against the nations. His power is totally bound. And so for that reason, we can see at least three stages in the defeat of Satan. The first occurs when he's thrown from heaven. The second occurs when he's thrown into a pit for a thousand years. And the third and final stage is when he's locked into the lake of fire for all of eternity. It only gets worse for Satan, and he knows it. He knows his time is short, and so he rages. Now to Revelation 20, verse 9. And the dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. See, I think it is important to notice the names that are given to him. First, he is called the ancient serpent, and no doubt that's a reference to Genesis chapter 3, where he comes in the form of a serpent to deceive the woman, and through his deception leads the entire world into sin and death. Second, he's called Satan. The Hebrew word for this means the adversary. The word adversary simply means someone who stands opposed. So, for instance, in the book of Numbers, an angel of God stands in the false prophet Balaam's way, and there is called his adversary. See, when Satan is our adversary, we are to infer from that that he stands as adversary to both God and man. In terms of his adversity to the human race, 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Satan, the adversary, seeks to destroy human lives, keep them from even considering the gospel of Jesus, constantly setting up either political blocks to hearing the gospel or by creating prejudices in their hearts that keep people from the gospel. So first, the ancient serpent, second, Satan, now third, the devil. The word devil is merely a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Satan. But the Greek word diabolos also means a slanderer. I want you to think how much damage is done in this world through slander. A little innuendo, a little half-truth, an accusation made from a supposed reputable source, and then the matter is repeated until it becomes an established fact. See, once this is done, 
reputations are destroyed, jobs are lost, marriages are brought to divorce, churches are disrupted, and on a global scale, nations go to war. The scribes and the Pharisees are noted for having slandered Jesus. The devil slanders human beings every single day. Do you know what it is to slander someone? It is to make or to repeat false or damaging statements about someone. You know, in Canadian law, it's called defamation. To defame someone is to damage the good reputation of someone. That's why the gospel forbids gossiping and speaking maliciously against others. This is also why we're not to accept a complaint against a teacher of God's people unless it's duly attested through witnesses. I mean, how sad, therefore, when even God's people give way to Satan's schemes. But verse 9 promises that this one was thrown down to the earth. Satan may have access to the hearts and minds of people, but he has no access before the throne of God. I mean, what a blessed truth. His place before God is now vacant, as Paul will say in Romans 8, 33-34. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And then the question, who is to condemn? Indeed, the one who would condemn you no longer has access before the throne. What a blessed truth. You know, I remember a time in my life when certain men of supposed substance said the most slanderous things about me. And these were charges they could not prove. And interestingly, if I had been given the chance, I would have disproved most of them. But I was not given a chance. You know, heartbroken, I went to church and I heard the congregation of God's people sing, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, who always lives and pleads for me. My heart was lifted. Even where I have sinned and even where I have failed God, there is no one before the throne who condemns me. What a sacred treasure to hide in our hearts. Even when we sin, the precious wounds of Jesus plead before the Father in our defense, and no one is found to bring a word of condemnation. Precious fellow believer, cling to this truth. Meditate on it. Let your soul find peace. The only one who speaks to the Father regarding your sins and failures and even wrongful slander is the very one who paid the penalty for all your sins. The place of the slanderer stands empty before the throne of God. Now then, verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. See, I know of many who are now listening to my voice who need to make Revelation 12, verse 10, a verse that you pin up somewhere, where you're forced to read it every single day. And now to verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. You know, I noticed that in spite of the great victory before the throne of God, I mean, before that's complete, the battle still continues on earth. Having lost his access before God, Satan now redoubles his efforts on earth. You know, the Christians who first received this letter must have gained, you know, an aha at this moment. Now, that's because they were being slandered all the time. They were being accused of leading a rebellion against Rome, that their love feasts were really just sexual orgies that their faith that there was but one God, that really made them atheists. I mean, after all, they said the Roman gods and goddesses were no deities at all. And so 
from this slander, swift persecution followed. And that was the aha. So this is the reason for the wrath. Satan has no access to the great throne room described in Revelation 4 and 5, a throne room that's altogether glorious. He is excluded, and we are included. And so he accuses us and kills us on earth. See, when Christians do not love their lives unto death, they're testifying that what happens on earth is not of ultimate value. It is what happens in heaven that means all things. And when they're martyred, Satan faces the stench of his ultimate defeat. Having wanted to slander them on earth, he finds that they prefer heaven anyway. Now to verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. You know, that's a verse that reminds us that this world is the scene of a horrific spiritual conflict. In a sense, that conflict has always been there. Wars and rumors of war have been a part of this fallen planet. But with Christ coming, the war is intensified. John is telling us that as we move towards the end of the age, the wrath of the evil one grows, for he sees that his time is short. His rage becomes terrible. And of course, that's the bad news. But the good news? Well, the good news is time is short. Very soon now, the heavens will part, and Christ the King will descend and we, his glorious church, will receive our reward. As Luther said so well, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. John, I gotta tell you, I think there's a lot of people that fear this whole idea that they're gonna stand before God and be accused, but there is no accuser in heaven. Christ is our advocate. Yeah, it's so wonderful. I mean, the truths here in this passage in Revelation, I mean, we ought to memorize this stuff and, and have great confidence. I mean, that doesn't mean that we act in a cavalier fashion. Of course not. We're, we're born again. We love the things of God. But we've sinned, but Christ has borne our sin. You know, when the Bible says that we have an advocate before the Father, well, we have an advocate before the Father. So let's rejoice and let's look forward to the day that we stand before, before God. Uh, I know that, you know, that we will be judged on our works, and I get that. Um, however, however, condemnation has been taken away by Christ. And so rejoice, people of God. You have strong confidence. What a great hope. Thanks, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. As we begin 2018, we want to thank all of those who support the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada as a partner to tell monthly partner. Your regular commitment allows for the essentials of ministry to take place. And we're so grateful. 2018 begins a celebration of our 60th anniversary of ministry in Canada, and the giving of every partner has made this milestone possible. Our goal for this special year is to surpass 700 monthly partners. Perhaps you've never given, or, or maybe two or three times a year. Maybe this is the year you become a partner to tell monthly partner. Our commitment will be to continue to provide the Bible teaching you expect, but more more programs, reaching more people, using more mediums than ever before, while remaining faithful to the mission and legacy established 60 years ago by our founder, Theodore Epp. Become our next Partner to Tell monthly partner today. Call 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.